Well, I'm so glad to be in worship with all of you this morning on this 4th of July weekend. I know especially today there are hundreds of places you could be, things you could be doing, but you made worship a priority, and that's something that we all celebrate today, that we do have this freedom, this opportunity to come together to worship. I also want to extend my gratitude for you all welcoming Micah a few weeks ago. We really enjoyed the neighboring series, and we really enjoyed getting to be in each other's shoes for a Sunday and to see what it's like for each other, and he had a really good time being here with you all. On June 25th, Micah and I celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary, and we share that anniversary with Jennifer Bemis and her husband. My sister got married on June 26th. I believe John and Tiffany got married on June 27th. Do we have any other late June anniversaries here? Seems, oh, we've got a couple. It seems a good time to get married. So I've been thinking a lot about our wedding and a, something that we do every year, a tradition for the past five years, is we re-watch our wedding ceremony video. And this is not one of those, you know, really fancy, beautiful videos that highlights the whole day. Ours is just the ceremony, just the actual when we got married part. And we rewatch it every year, and every year I'm struck by the fact that it, for that one day, for those few hours, everyone we loved, our family and friends, were all together in one space. And I, I was really just, it was such a unique situation it seemed. Not just the people I loved, but the people Micah loved. They all came together in this space. So every year when we rewatch the video, we see our family and friends as they come in and Micah's groomsmen helped them find a seat and we say, oh yeah, they were there, that was really neat. And then we see someone else come in, we see our family members come in, our wedding party process. It's really, really very special. But the part of the wedding video, aside from when we actually made our vows and got married in the video, that we look forward to each year is the homily. And I've shared with you all before that Dr. Jason Borders from Montgomery is very special to Micah and I. He was our New Testament professor at Huntington College, and he works at First Methodist Montgomery. And so we had a relationship with him for about five years at the time, and so it seemed a natural choice to ask him to give our wedding homily. So in the preparation stage, he called and asked us, so what did you want me to talk about at your wedding? And we said, whatever you want. You know, we didn't have any super strong feelings towards anything. We gave him a few scriptures that we really liked, but we said, whatever you would like to preach on is fine with us. We trust you. Um, but we imagined he would probably speak about love um, or marriage or oneness or, you know, typical marriage ceremony homily themes. So imagine our surprise when he walks to the pulpit and begins to talk about slavery. And yes, you heard me correctly. His scripture for our wedding homily was 1 Peter 2.16, which says, as slaves of God, live as free people. He went on to give a very compelling homily about how the New Testament has some really odd things to say about what makes a person truly free. Because for those who follow Christ, Freedom is found in limitations, in restrictions, in obedience, and ultimately in service or slavery to Christ. This definitely challenged us and surprised us in the moment and continues to, year after year as we re-watch this homily, 
And I feel like we learn new things each time because it was so surprising to us. It was such a surprising concept. But marriage is about a surrender of freedom for the sake of honoring and loving another. Christian marriage, especially, is about serving and loving one another as Christ has loved us. When we said, I do, to each other, we were saying, I won't or I don't to all others. In a similar way, when we say yes to Christ and become his disciples, our loyalty and allegiance must shift away from myself and what I want to do and my freedoms. No longer do we only live for the here and now, but our focus is on a greater, more eternal, lasting kingdom. We don't only think about ourselves and our desires, but we think about who God has created us to be. Because when we say yes to God, we say no to all others. This can be a tricky thing to grasp when we know what it is to have freedom. We who live in the United States are the freest people in the world. We have all kinds of freedom. Here we are today, worshiping freely. We can say whatever we want. We have freedom of speech, press, assembly. The list goes on and on. We can live wherever we want. We can work wherever we want. We can marry whoever we want. We can really do a lot of things. There's a lot of freedom that comes with living in the United States of America. And through God's great love for us, this freedom extends not only in our country, but also in how we relate to God and how we enter into a life of faith. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and God created all the animals and all the trees and everything we see outside, God created Adam and gave him free will. That is, he was given the autonomy to make decisions for himself. He was allowed to use his own logic and his own reason to decide how he would live. And God told Adam, you can do whatever you want. You can eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, we know how this story goes. I think it goes similarly anytime we are told, you can do anything except blank. It seems a bit in human nature to want to walk on the edge of what we can and can't do. We want to push the envelope a little bit. We want to see if the grass really is greener in the space we're not allowed to go into. In the United States, we often feel entitled to total and complete freedom. It's what we're used to. But again, it was in God's great love for humanity that we were all given this free will, this choice. God could have easily put Adam and Eve in a bubble where they wouldn't experience any pain, any hurt, no opportunity to sin. God could have removed the tree of knowledge of good and evil altogether, just removed that temptation. God could have created them as robots who had no choice but to be obedient to God, to serve God, to follow everything God said, to be exactly like God. But instead, God allowed Adam and Eve and God allows us to choose to whom we will be faithful. In our gospel passage this morning, Jesus is teaching those who have been following him about true freedom. He says this, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They balk at this comment, and they say, Jesus, we are descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. We keep the laws. 
We know the rules. We are committed to God alone. Today it might sound a little like, I have been a Christian my whole life. I was baptized as a baby. I go to Sunday school. I go to Bible study. I'm on all the committees. I am surely not a slave to sin. But Jesus goes on to say, everyone who commits a a sin is a slave to sin. We have seen the effects of sin and its power over people since the very beginning with Adam and Eve. We live in a world full of people who are caught up in these cycles of sin. People caught up in greed, anger, lust, pride, deceit, selfishness. But Jesus wants us to see that there's another way. There's another option. There's another person that we can be loyal to and that we can live differently. Listen again to what he says to these disciples. If you continue in my word, you are my disciples. And then later at the end, he says, if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Jesus wants them to know, wants us to know that we will always be in service or a slave to something or someone. However, slavery to Christ leads to all the good stuff, to lasting freedom. It is through this freedom in Christ that we are able to produce the good stuff, you know, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a freedom that leads to salvation and assurance of that, even while we are here with sin still in our midst. It's through obedience to God and relinquishing our need to do whatever we want in this life that we experience what true freedom is like. Just like Adam and Eve, we have been given everything we need to be obedient to God, and even more so now. We've been given rules and commandments. We have our Bible, our Holy Scriptures, that tell us stories about how people from the very beginning of time have wrestled with what it means to be fully obedient to God. We have our Lord and Savior, who came down to earth to show us exactly what it looks like to be fully obedient while you're here on earth. But competing for our attention is all the stuff on the other side, the desire to be seen as important or powerful, the longing for wealth and earthly treasures, the fear of people who are different than us, The lie that if I can only accomplish this, I will be happy. All of these things ultimately feed our ego and starve our relationship with Christ. They pull our attention away from what's truly important and point us towards ourselves once again. It reminds me of an old story. A grandfather who was about in his 70s was walking along in the woods with his grandson and he was telling him a story. He said, inside of you, locked inside of you in a constant battle, are two wolves. One good wolf is trying to teach us all of the good things that we seek to be. Brave, honest, true, loyal, generous, happy, all the good stuff. But battling that good wolf is the bad wolf, representing greed, anger, selfishness, arrogance, hatred, and fear. And throughout our lives, these two wolves are battling within us. And the little boy looked up at his granddad and said, well, who's going to win the battle? And the granddad said, whichever wolf you feed. Just like a marriage covenant, our relationship with God is something we must recommit to each day. 
Whether you've been a Christian for five years or for 50 years, you have the opportunity each day to wake up and choose to whom you will be faithful, to whom you will invest in and give your attention and ultimately your obedience to. Today, the first Sunday of the month, we have the opportunity to come to the table to celebrate Holy Communion, this sacred meal in which we recall that Jesus, even though he was in the same form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. And being born in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a part of this holy meal, we always begin with a time of confession and pardon. We acknowledge that even though we want to be fully obedient to God, even though we claim to be fully obedient to God, we still wrestle with the pull of sin in our lives. We fall short, we mess up, and we still stand in need of God's great mercy and grace. Friends, this confessional time is powerful. We talked about this at Bible study a few weeks ago. But confessional prayer is transformational. Listen to what the Bible has to say about what happens when we confess our sin before God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Psalm 32, 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When we confess our sins, our shortcomings, our struggle with sin to God, when we acknowledge those things, God cleanses us, God heals us, forgives us, and restores us to live differently. Then, after we've confessed, we ask God to forgive us and to free us for joyful obedience. Ironically, it's only through slavery to Christ and submission to Christ that we can know and taste true freedom. When we choose to reject the freedom of the world, when we choose to reject doing whatever we want to do in the world, we can choose to be slaves to the one that frees. But don't miss this part. This is the coolest part. God doesn't command us to follow the commandments and to be exactly like Jesus just because God wants to. Rather, God has freed us from sin and guilt so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ by living differently. Jesus frees us to joyfully say yes to God, knowing that the cross has broken the shackles of sin and guilt and shame that try to keep us down, try to keep us away from God. Jesus frees us to live into the person that God has created us to be. Jesus frees us to let go of the world's standards and of the rules and of the pressures that we feel. Jesus frees us to live for an eternal, lasting kingdom yet unseen. This is true freedom, which we celebrate today and each day that we wake up and we say yes to God. May we never forget this good news. In the midst of all the freedoms we do get to celebrate in our nation and in our world and in our lives, let us not forget that true freedom only comes through Christ 
and may we point others towards the one who can bring this for all of humanity. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.